right, welcome back to Two Top, episode 14 now. I'm here with Matt. How's it going? And I'm Thomas. And as always, I don't know what Matt has brought to the table for discussion, and Matt doesn't know what I have for discussion. But it's always a good talk. Always a good time. Always. And, you know, we're trying something a little different. Hopefully you guys can pick up on a little nicer audio, maybe? Maybe. Maybe. New program. But you know what? Enough of the banter. Let's just dive right into it. And you know what? I'm starting us off with something that's been on my podcast radar for a little while now. Today, we are discussing the McMansion. The McMansion. The McMansion. Okay, just just from the title, McMansion, what do you think I'm talking about? Well, immediately I think McDonald's. McDonald's. And what's McDonald's known for? Really? Fast food, American obesity. <laughs> large. 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 Size. Everything's yeah. large, yes. Well, the McMansion is, in general, the oversized house. Coming around in the two, 2000s, beginning of the 2000s, before the big housing market crash. It's a house that's 3,000 square feet or bigger. But the reason it's called McMansions is because the design doesn't really fit into the surrounding areas. It's a big topic discussed on this one blog that I'll link in the description by a person named Kate Wagner. Now, the whole idea of the McMansion is it's built it's built cheap and it's built big, using a lot of new materials that are cheaper. And a lot of the times it's not really traditional building. And... Because it's cheap and because the materials are everywhere, abundant, um, they're kind of built without much care. And it's a very hated style of, well, at least architects, but hopefully after this it will be hated by all our listeners. So let me go into it. I would say, honestly, I'm just going to say it straight out, a McMansion is not architecture. You have architecture and then you have just mere buildings. And I'd say McMansions are just buildings for building's sake. Now, here's the thing. Their whole purpose is to convey an idea of wealth. Like, my house is big. And my house is big because I have a lot of money to spend. Because money plus building equals space. So the more space I take up, the more money I have. Because clearly I can afford it. So they're kind of tall to convey power. And these things are more important than the design principles themselves. They care more about, oh, look how rich I am to build such a big house. Or look how powerful I am by having so much. But that's not really the case. So the problem is the McMansion's a thing because they're so easy to build. They're mass production, but they're still customizable. You guys have may have seen this around if you go to a new development that you have the one model home and all the homes off that. Now, if someone's buying into a neighborhood like that in advance, they can put in, oh, well, we'd also like an extra floor or we'd like some extra storage on the top. But this leans to some bad design because most of these buildings are designed from the inside without regarding the outside. The outside starts to get a little ugly thinking of this imagine you have your top floor and you're like you know i think it'd be really nice if i had some taller ceilings in my bathroom or a taller ceiling in my master bedroom you can do it on the inside sure but looking at it from the outside you're gonna have your nice roof and all of a sudden there's just gonna be a bump 
sticking oh, yeah. up. Yeah, I can totally picture that. So a tall tale sign to tell if a McMansion's a McMansion is to just look at the roof. And if the roof's a little funky, you're going to have to start thinking, hmm, this is probably not your designed traditional home. Now, the thing is, all these additions are mostly internal, but there are some external things that show up as well. Like a lot of times, think of, okay, when you think of a window design, like you'd think a front of a house would have one type of window, like one or two types of windows. Well, McMansions kind of have a little bit of everything, whatever, whatever, all, all the windows, all the windows they want. It's like, maybe I want this one type of, this, of window here, a nice arched window there, a Chicago style window on the top floors. And it doesn't really fit because you're telling the owners are telling what they want and the designers are like, well, they have the money, so let's just do what they want. And there's too many styles in one place. That's the big problem. Um, one Another big thing that I, I personally use to identify if it's a McMansion or not is, so imagine, close your eyes, you're walking into a house and the minute you walk in, it's a beautiful two-story entrance. You know, you open the door, the staircase is right there, and, like, tall ceiling, chandelier up top, big door. The There's, like, a window above the door that, you know, flat on the bottom, arched on the top, and there's, like, sometimes a chandelier on the top. You, you know... Totally picture it. Have you walked into, like, a house like that? Oh, yeah. That's a McMansion. That's a McMansion. A grand entrance, because when someone comes into the space, they're like, oh, wow, mm. so big, so fancy. First impression. So, big entrance, big deal. That's kind of how it goes. Now, another thing, another telltale sign is columns. You know, rich people, they love their columns because, you know, it has columns, banks, temples, very fancy buildings. Roman architecture, grand empires. Grand, grand (laughs) empires. So you might have on the front of these houses, like you might have some tiny pillars holding up something heavy or some big pillars holding up a tiny little roof. But that's because they're just there for aesthetics. They're not there for actual purpose. They're just there to look rich Mm -hmm. look fancy it's a facade now all these things that we've talked about they're all kind of for one purpose and it's the this whole idea that people move into a house with the idea that they will be selling it in a couple years no one these days moves into a house and says i'm living here forever people move into this house saying oh you know in a couple years it's going to have a lot of value and i can sell it for a good price like, it's changed. Like, back in the day, people would build a house and stay in the house. Like, the grandparents would stay in their house for God knows how long. But nowadays, when someone moves into a house, the realtor would be talking about, like, oh, you don't want really want to change too much with the house because it's going to lose value. And it's kind of, this change in mindset has come from a lot of things. Like the idea that people look to sell before they even spend one night in their house was a quote I found while looking for this. But why has this happened? Who's to blame for all this? And I would like to blame one person in particular. Not one person, more like one organization. Do you have any ideas? Um, I really don't. Who would it be? 
HGTV. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Because reality in, TV shows. In all these shows, you see people like remodeling houses and changing stuff, and like changing simple things, and like, oh, that's going to increase the value of the house. Because people are more like, oh, look, look how fancy my countertops are. I bet I can sell this house. Like, that's a key point of this house. No, none of these remodelings really are for, oh, wow, I can stay here forever now. It's, oh, wow, look how much value this house has so I can sell it in a couple years. It's this constant idea that the house can always be improved. And it's kind of sad because these McMansions are kind of turning into cookie-cutter houses all over the U.S. and all over the world. Which kind of loses the idea of the home as a sense of place. Like a home is unique. And also, a home is a place of the area. Like if you go further out, never eat soggy waffles west, like towards, um, like the debt, not the debt, yeah, the desert. Yeah, like over, desert. over there, like or the rocky plains areas. out there. It's a completely different style of traditional housing, you know? Like homesteads, rancher-styled homesteads and yeah, stuff. Yeah, stuff like that. That's what I picture or when I think about West. More European up in the New England area. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, most definitely. But with all these developments, you're starting to get houses that are all the same, and they're just pretty much pick and choose. It's like, oh, I want an extra bedroom upstairs, or oh, let's get a, an extra attic space for more storage. And these houses are now all the same, which is interesting because a friend of mine, I know they have a house like this. Another friend of mine has a house like this as well. And within walking in, I was able to go, oh, all your bedrooms are upstairs. There's a bedroom there, there, there. You have two bathrooms upstairs and one bathroom downstairs tucked into this corner. Without even going through Without, the house, you just With know. just walking in the front door and seeing the tall entrance. Because you've seen it before. You know exactly what it like is. Like, if I close, I can point out four houses. You walk into the main entrance. To the right is, like, a living room area with a big dining room table in all these houses I've seen. You go left, there's more of a living room office area. And then if you go upstairs, all the bedrooms are upstairs because the downstairs is all living space. And this is in every single house I've seen. All these McMansions, which kind of make me like my house a little more because it was built in a time that that wasn't much of a thing. But even so, like this house, my whole neighborhood is all kind of the same houses, but they've been around for 60 years now. So people have put additions and every house has its own little character, but that's because it's changed over time. These houses, they're kind of all the same from the start. And they've all had their additions on the start. Like, no one's going to change the house once it's made. Now, it's actually a problem for a little while these houses weren't selling. Because they were kind of built for the people who lived in them first. Because they kind of said, oh, I want these parts. And they've actually had struggle trying to sell them later. So it's kind of things that you'd think would help them. They're actually hurting. So, yeah. McMansions. Um, you guys definitely have to check out the blog. It's um, it's a good architecture blog, good funny McMansion blog. You can learn a lot from this lady, uh, Kate Wagner. I'll put some links in the descriptions. But what do you think, McMansion? It's a, it's a crazy concept. I know exactly what you're talking about because 
I guess it was an era when people thought these houses were just, just um, the designs were pitched rather than engineered. Like you said, you know, you can make the inside highly customized to what you think. And in the moment you think it's a great idea, but like you said, you can't resell it because it's so particular to someone's style or someone's needs. But then there's also the point of like, it might look the same on the outside or it might have the, and yes, yes, they're unique in a sense. But like you said, like you like living in your home because it was from a particular era with a particular design and focus where it wasn't customized, where the inhabitants kind of adjusted to what they were living in rather than the inhabitants letting the space around them adjust to their needs, which is a really cool concept to think about living in an old house like oh you can just make this space what it is instead of making a space into something else based just to make it easier for you and it's kind of cringeworthy and it's a super like i don't want to say trashy but there's there's a sense of trashiness to all these mcmansion house styles it doesn't really look nice either no no even though it's customized like you said it's still cheaply made kind of cookie cutter in a way but not not like the 50s cookie cutter houses where they were specifically you know there was a purpose for each each one and yeah. it wasn't made to fit desires of like outrageous desires of like a high ceiling or anything it's it's what it is exactly so yeah McMansions. I like the idea how it goes along with McDonald's because that totally yeah, like supersize my aesthetic. house. <laughs> yeah, supersize my house and HGTV. We, uh, <laughs> me and my friends at college, it was on in the background a lot because it is interesting to watch, mm-hmm. but it's certainly disgusting in a sense. Oh yeah, I would say disgusting too. But you know, entertainment is entertainment. Yeah. So. So what do you? What do I have? What did I bring to the table today? Well, I wanted to talk about physics today because we we had some some chemistry type physics related topics last week, um, and I just wanted to specifically bring in resonant inductive coupling. I know, <laughs> I know, right? Okay, so this um, there's been a lot of talk recently about the next iphone having no ports on it have you heard about this no i have not heard about so they this. got rid of the headphone port thinking like bluetooth earbuds is this is the thing to get to go to um there's just the charging lightning port which is data transfer too and there's rumor that that they're going to get rid of that also which is completely outrageous can you imagine that no holes on your phone at all it's just kind of like a solid piece of device it's cool to think about but I like I like having <laughs> the ports. Yeah, it's kind of comforting to know you could plug it into something for power. Like exactly, it's a physical thing to get the power. So this is going to lead me into my topic today, which is Qi charging, wireless charging. Qi, like Qi. Have you ever heard of it? Like, like Qi, like, like Qi, like the Chinese word meaning natural energy. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Okay, so it's um. It's a technology where you can charge things wirelessly, no wires, no ports, nothing. So I actually did this a couple years ago. I think it was two years ago. I went on eBay and just bought a Qi pad that I could plug into my old iPhone and kind of like it's a real thin pad. And I'll explain how the technology works in a minute. And it 
sticks in the port and then you can fold it along the back and then if you just buy a little disc that plugs in like it's actually plugged into an outlet it'll send a signal through the air and you can just set your phone on this pad and it'll charge it and i was like oh man this is great no wires i can just set it down and not worry about it so i i quickly learned there was some pros and cons to it but let me let me go into it what what is chi so it's an open interface standard developed by the wireless power consortium for inductive charging over distances of up to four centimeters wow so that's that's, that's a very limited <laughs> wireless range yeah. but there's there's no wires you know yes yeah, so. there's no plugging in so just doing some basic research into it there's a couple companies and organizations that are actually working on the technology there's another consortium called the pma power matters alliance they want this to be a thing in the corporate environment also there's the alliance for wireless power it sounds like all these evil like james bond villain type things doesn't it well, it's like the alliance and the the yeah. corporations and the consortiums and stuff and so all groups have their own support and backers for the technology i thought that was kind of funny the system uses a charging pad and a compatible device which is placed on top of the pad charging via resonant inductive coupling and I'm, i want to explain this shortly and this technology kind of dates all the way back to uh nikola tesla in the mid 1800s proving many electrical theories um, I, I at love, the very core i love tesla He's, yeah, he. I remember his last thing was this idea of wireless energy, which I guess is where this comes from. Mm -hmm. So he has um, some principles, which, which I'll explain in a minute. So mobile device manufacturers that are working with the standard include um, Asus, HTC, Huawei, LG, Motorola, Nokia, Samsung, BlackBerry, Sony, and not Apple. Of course, not Apple. For what we know. Apple does not has never had a device that has wireless charging. I mean, the Apple Watch still hits pins when you plug it on, on the stand and stuff. Like I like we say many times when we talk about Apple, in many cases they're years ahead, but also they're years behind in technology innovation. It's because they want to be on their own timeline. They're on their own timeline. Yeah, exactly. So, and this partly has to do with the design and construction of the Apple devices, like their premium metal construction aluminum and a lot of that is incompatible with this wireless charging technology right i would assume that you'd get some interference or mm -hmm. something exactly and it's a very i wouldn't say unstable but inefficient method of charging so any factors we just want to eliminate to our best ability to make it as efficient as possible so let's talk about the adoption. As the Qi standard gains popularity, it is, it's expected that the Qi hotspots will begin to arise in places such as coffee shops, airports, sports arenas, and like all those type of places. Let's see, the Coffee Bean and Tea Leaf, a major U.S. coffee chain, will install inductive charging stations at selected major metropolitan cities, as well as Virgin Atlantic Airways for United Kingdom's London Heathrow Airport, New York City's JFK Airport, Furniture retailers, IKEA is actually I, I've gone on their website and looked. I don't like the style of the furniture, but they put chi pads in like bedside tables. That's smart. And dressers. It's pretty it's awesome. Uh Starbucks has it too. Like on their tables? Yeah. I don't know how many stores. I haven't seen it myself. I just saw it in a video. It's a super, super cool technology that I really, really want to see more of. But like you said, the, having a wired connection with ports is kind of like a comforting thing because that's how it should be. Yeah. You don't 
want things to be wild. It's in a sense, it's like the cloud. Like you want your data to be secured physically, not meta metaphorically you know well there's one thing also for a while i was thinking of wireless charging because i see a lot of products that have wireless charging i'm like oh you know it'd be cool to get a case that could get wireless charging for my iphone but when i'm charging my phone unless i'm sleeping i'm usually also glancing at it now and then and if it's charging and it's in my hand it can't do both it can't be on the pad no because it has such a short range. Exactly. So I I wish there was an easier implication for, well, at least for iPhone. I know Samsung. Specifically the Android-based phones. Yeah, I know they have it in them already without taking away any ports, which I think is what it should be. It's a good balance. Exactly. I agree. So I guess what's next what's next in this whole chi chain do you think apple's gonna adopt it um i do i really do think the next iphone will have something to do with that or the next macbook pro like i say the laptops or even desktop computers because they're sitting on a flat surface that could totally be utilized that wireless charging that would be smart i think it would also have to factor in how much power they can move how like how fast they can move it because say like a cable can charge i heard there's a samsung like setup that you can lightning charge your phone in like 15 minutes to full yeah they have the quick charge which is which is really really quick i can imagine wireless charging is not the fastest thing no and i want to explain that there's reasons why it's inefficient right now I just want to say one more thing. Another place that it would be great to have where you don't need to keep glancing at it in the car, in a cup holder. And car companies like Audi and Lexus do have this where it's wireless charging in a cup holder where you shouldn't be using your phone while driving, where it just sits there. Exactly. That's like the perfect implementation of that technology. So like you asked, let's let's talk about how this works. So this is this is going to get super, super technical, but I have some, some basic principles. Let's start real small. So electromagnetic induction is the very core principle of wireless Qi charging. Magnetic fields and electrical current are very closely linked together and rely on each other. So if you understand kind of magnetics and vectors in electrical circuits and everything and how things point to each other and a circuit goes in a certain direction to create energy... That's basically the principle behind it. That's why we I mentioned Nikola Tesla a minute right. ago because he originally studied that back in the 1800s. AC power, not DC power. Exactly. So here's a here's a physics principle: Faraday's law of induction. Ooh, I know the guy Faraday. I don't know what his law of induction is. Well, here's a very basic rundown. Basically, a current creates a magnetic field. A change in magnetic flux. And flux is, in electromagnetism, is the measure of flow of the electrical field through a given area. So it's just it's just a measurement of flow. Right. Um, so it's a change in magnetic flux specifically through something called a loop. And a loop could be like a loop of wire, just simply something that the current can travel through, where it creates induced electrical current. Okay, so that is Faraday's law of induction. And that's that is the very basic principle of how this transfer of energy works so the specific technology 
that utilizes those principles is called resonant inductive coupling, which I mentioned at the start of my topic. It's also called mag magnetic phase synchronous coupling. This is going to go super nerd right now. Um, so basically, magnetic phase synchronous coupling is the phenomenon that the coupling attachment is enhanced when the secondary side of the loosely coupled coil resonates. Wow. That's pretty fun. So the most basic resonant inductive coupling consists of one drive coil on the primary side and a one resonant circuit on the secondary side. So basically you have two kind of coils on each side, not connected by anything. So there are two circuits on each side. But they're, I'm guessing their fields interact with one yes, another. Yes, the fields are going to interact with each other, but they have to interact in a very specific way. So the fields, there's one on the phone in, in that little... Um, chi pad and then there's one on the pad that you place the phone and chi pad on top of oh i get it i get it so one of them is called the anti-resonant frequency parallel resonant frequency one and the other is called the resonant frequency serial resonant frequency one um, the short circuit inductance and resonant capacitor of the secondary coil are combined into a resonant circuit so together they kind of make one circuit and when the primary coil is driven with the resonant frequency, serial resonant fre frequency 1, of the secondary side, the phase of the magnetic fields of the primary coil and the secondary coil are synchronized. So, like I said, the flux, which is the measure of electrical flow, yeah, they're matched. This is where Faraday's law of induction comes into play. Um, I hope everyone's taking notes. <laughs> it's, it's super specific. And this, this is just all the technical stuff that we can just get at. So as a result, the maximum voltage is generated on the secondary coil due to an increase of mutual flux because it's the same, and the copper loss of the primary coil is reduced. The heat generation is reduced, and the efficiency is relatively improved. So you have two magnetic field circuits going next to each other in the same motion, and together they kind of create... You can picture like a tornado linking... a. a invisible tornado linking the phone to that wireless pad right the um the flux you said correct yeah it's just the flux it's it's invisible the magnetic field is invisible i so, guess i guess you can also think of it like a radio or like a tv channel you have to be on the right the right frequency the right yes, frequency exactly and the two pads have the same frequency therefore they're linked they're linked together because they're on the exact same flux rate i guess you could say oh, okay that makes more sense and therefore electrical current can be passed through the air wirelessly at least within a close range you know four centimeters four centimeters not a close to be exact close close range <laughs> so the same principle has been applied to things such as passive rfid tags like shopping you know when you can tap your phone and stuff it's the same oh, idea is it the same tech it's the same technology and uh, same with contactless uh smart cards like um scanning cards of the buildings even oh. credit cards that can just tap the scanner well i guess we don't need to do an rf rfid episode anymore <laughs> well there's a lot more to that because we could talk about security and stuff and you know there's a whole bunch but anyway we're just talking about charging our devices specifically maybe maybe the smartphone the smartphone so you want to ask yourself is this efficient and practical well yeah it seems super easy without any wires you can just place on something but like you said what if you do want to use it and it's not sitting directly on that pad? Like if I'm laying down or if I'm sitting back in a chair, I can't be charging my phone while it's in my hand unless I'm holding the cheap pad and the phone in my hand. By that yeah. point, I'd rather just have a cable in my phone. Oh, yeah. And like we said, this could be great for laptops and desktops that are sitting on a desk, you know, where it doesn't really – even though it's portable like a laptop, it's not going to move that much, you know? 
So if every like desk at a college, university, or institution, or corporate environment was a Qi-enabled wireless technology, that would be awesome. Nothing would be un uncharged, you know? But here's some cons. Right now, it's, it's too expensive, and it's slower, and your device will heat up more when charging. Right, so, because of the coils, I guess. Like I said, when I got my iPhone rigged up with it, and I bought a real nice Qi pad. It had some cool LEDs on it. I felt super cool. I was just like, this isn't efficient because I want to use my phone and it's not charging. And I could sit it on the pad and sometimes it wouldn't sit right, you know? Yeah. And it was just, it, my phone would get really hot and I was worried about it. So in the long run, it wasn't worth it. So I have all those parts sitting in a part drawer at home. <laughs> um, the range is extremely limited. But this leads me into my last point. There's a lot of technology being enhanced to enable this wireless charging to be across greater distances within, say, a room. So you could just have a phone in a pocket and it would be charging. That's pretty cool. And people are, might be worried about safety because, it's, like, there that's a lot of – there's current flowing through the air and stuff. But it's the same idea as, like, high power lines Yeah, I'd say you. it's such a low current or something that yeah. doesn't affect it. And it's, um, it's so close to the phone that there's no – there's no space in between to get harmed or anything. But this technology really is in the early stages of development. I mean, Nikola Tesla, you know, he didn't – he's yeah. still not working on it, you know. He's yeah, long gone. He's long gone, and even he spent the last part of his life working on it, and he didn't even finish it. Yeah. There's so much to be learned about wireless charging and how we can transfer energy without the traditional wires that we're all used to right and the utilization we can either you know make it efficient for our daily use and have all of our devices charged or maybe that shouldn't be the focus maybe we shouldn't have to rely on devices so much exactly it takes a lot of responsibility out of things too yeah it kind of removes you a little bit from your own device yeah so anyway that's uh chi charging cool stuff as you can tell Hopefully it's pretty hidden, but we're currently recording this during a thunderstorm outside. Yeah, we're outside in the in the storm. Outside in the storm, trying to charge our phones due to a lightning strike. <laughs> but anyway, guys, I hope you guys enjoyed, and we'll see you next week for another two topics. See you soon. Bye. This was Two Top, an independently created and run podcast created by Thomas Lance and Matt Burke and produced by Thomas Lance. Two Top is currently a non-funded project recorded weekly. For general inquiries or feedback, contact us at twotoppodcast at gmail.com. Thanks, and join us next week for another Two Topics. Hey everyone, I just want to let you guys know that we are now on Stitcher. Stitcher is radio on demand, and you can download the free app today from any app store. They have thousands of shows for you to discover, and you can throw them in your own custom playlists. You can find them on iOS and Android and the Google Play Store. They're on demand and on the go. No downloading, no syncing, no wasted memory, and you can stream all your favorite podcasts, including Two Top. So if you don't have Stitcher, I suggest you download it from the app store. And while you're there, it would help our show if you left a rating and a review. That's Stitcher, radio on demand.